Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. Thank you for joining me on this edition of Around with Randall. We started a two-part series getting back into the technical side of being a gift officer and building as Nathan Chappelle and Brian Crimmins called radical connections with our donors and prospects around objections. So in this edition, we're going to deal with it from the standpoint of qualification. You're trying to get in front of someone. You're trying to figure out how do I begin the relationship and the objections that you might get on the phone, or if you're trying to set up a meeting later on, it may be not through the phone, maybe it's at an event or something of that nature. How do you handle these? And we'll kind of break them apart into eight different objections. Part two are objections around the asking and closing of gifts and how you can be ready to help kind of break apart people's process in this kind of world where we're trying to figure out how to build better and more engaged opportunities for conversation. So let's start here at the qualification piece, just maybe a 15 second review. In qualification, we're actually looking for only two things. We're trying to figure out, are they interested in what we do as a nonprofit? And number two, do they have the capacity to make a gift at whatever level we work at? That could be an annual fund gift. So that could be $500 or $1,000. That could be a major gift, five dollars or $10,000. That could be a planned gift, i.e. something that comes in their estate. All of these levels of giving or, or giving opportunities are fraught with objections. And so we have to start with the basic premise of what is it that we need to look like and do to be successful? So the first part is realizing what the goal is, is interest and capacity. The second is, is to know who we are. Then we'll get into the eight objections. The first, I tell gift officers all the time, and if you've heard me say it, maybe it's just a reminder, but we really are like the duck or the swan, depending on how you look at yourself. Two things come from that. My favorite is, is that when you watch a duck or a swan glide across a lake or a body of water, they're swimming. They look so graceful. But if you look right under the surface, it's chaos. They're paddling like crazy and moving their body to get to the direction they want to go. That's us. On the external side, we are graceful. And on the internal side, we're always a little bit unsure, a little bit chaotic, a little bit crazy, maybe even a little bit insecure. The second thing about the duck or the swan is, is that it's water off its back. Ducks and swans don't build houses and go indoors when it rains. They're outdoors and their bodies. And, and as Darwin would comment, the kind of the theory of evolution have allowed their bodies to let water flow right off their back, off their feathers. They don't get wet on the inside. And gift officers need to be more like this because don't forget for every call you make, (laughs) you're going to have two, three, four, five, potentially I'm not interested. They don't call you back. They may even call you a name. We're aiming for those moments when we have an opportunity to get someone to talk with us. And once we do that, then we have to overcome their objection. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is is that you don't want to spend an immense amount of time prepping for qualification calls. If you're spending 20 minutes per call, you're spending 19 minutes too long. 
The first thing is, is that your organization, you should have a process to figure out who are the best people to call. In healthcare, that's probably based on some grateful patient process. In in higher ed, there may be alums. We just don't dial for dollars in the phone book most of the time. And for anyone who is involved with nonprofit work, they're usually former donors or they were referred into by a board member. So the key here is, is to do a number of them in rapid succession, meaning you're not spending 15, 20 minutes per person that you don't know doing an immense amount of research. Your research should encompass two things. Number one, look in your CRM to know if they've made a gift, any contact before, any other buddy, anybody other's notes. And number two, do a quick Google search. And I call it the Google trick. If you put quotes around what you're looking for in Google, it will restrict the findings or the search to look for just those things inside the quotes. And so you can get a lot of information in a minute, 90 seconds, then you make the call. First, like the duck or the swan, we're graceful from the outside. Number two, we have water off our back, meaning we're just going to keep doing what we got to do. Number two is, is that you can't take too much time in prep for these each call. Number three is block your calendar. Block that calendar to make calls. What you'll find is you'll push yourself into it more often. I did a five-part series on the moves management process from metrics all the way to stewardship. Maybe about uh, somewhere in the 30s in the podcast as we close in on about 160 of these things. So if you go back and look, you can find them. I want to shift real quick and into the meat of what we want to talk about today about obstacles. How do we overcome them? You've done the research. You have a great deal of grace. You're dialing those numbers. You're getting on the phone. You've blocked your calendar to do so. And all of a sudden you've got someone on the phone and you kind of have it scripted in your mind. And they're going to say, yes, I'd love to sit down and chat with you so we can figure out if they're qualified, interest and capacity. And something comes up and says X. And you're like, now what do I do? I think there are eight major objections that we should pay attention to. And there's verbiage and language that come from each one that I think can be helpful in getting you more time and more opportunities to talk with people. The first one is the one I see most often, and it's the most prominent. Are you calling me for money? They're trying to figure out what the purpose of the visit is. So depending on where you got their name, depending on what type of sector of the nonprofit world, we'll kind of take these apart, there are various ways of answering it. The first thing you should say is, I hope, no, I'm not asking you for money. The Generosity Crisis book, and I think uh, a lot of the work that my dear friend Nathan and, and Brian are doing and that a lot of us are now kind of getting behind. And I think a lot of us were talking about it for, they deserve the credit for bringing it together because they did it so brilliantly. Is that we become so transactional in our relationships that it's like, I get somebody on the phone, I'm just going to ask them for $10,000 or I'm going to ask them for $1,000. Well, where's the relationship in that? Where's the transaction or the transformational opportunity? How do you know what they're interested in? Now, if you're calling someone for 25 bucks and it's the annual fund drive for alums, it's probably, yes, I am calling about money. I'd like to talk to you about how you might continue or, or support the organization. But as soon as you get above 500 or $1,000, you, you might want to talk to them. They might find it an engendering quality that allows them to feel good about giving to the institution and the relationship that you have with them. So 
first thing. No, I'm really not calling about money. This isn't a fundraising call. Now, it depends on where you got the name. Dr. Smith, if it's a grateful patient referral, personally asked me to follow up with you, to hear about your experience, to tell you a little bit about some of the things going on in the organization. If it's higher ed, it could be we're doing a lot of outreach to our, I'll use me as an example, our law school alums to find out about their perspective, you know, several decades removed from going and why they think it's a valuable educational experience. And to tell you about some of the things that we're trying to get accomplished and do. If it's in social service or you're following up on maybe they've made a gift. No, I, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you for what you've done for the organization. You looked in the CRM, hopefully. You, as a donor, gave the last three consecutive years. And what we're realizing is, is we don't do a lot of, a lot of and enough of thank yous to those that are consistent donors. Your goal is to find out what their pressure point is. And if you use an excuse, and it's really not an excuse, it's really a true rationale. I'm calling to say thank you. I'm calling to follow up. Somebody asked me to do so. Is, is that you're trying to figure out, and you can tell them this. In the end, what I do is I am about figuring out how people view us, why people might support us. And not everybody does. And at the end of the day, if you don't want to make a gift, that's fine. But I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee and hear about why you've either given, why somebody recommended I talk to you, why somebody referred you into this conversation, and tell you a little bit about why we're important to the community. Because I know the community is important to you. Our goal isn't to ask them for money in that moment. Our goal is to start or rebuild a relationship. And this may mean requalifying from a stewardship perspective. If you go back to those five individual podcasts where I break apart the various pieces of the moves management process in stewardship, you heard me say, or you would hear me say that the most important thing in stewardship is it's recultivation. So you've got to requalify. And if they're moving up, maybe you have to requalify them at a higher level, meaning you've been a $2,500 annual donor. We are so appreciative. It makes such a difference. We're spending a little time with people to figure out why they're making those gifts and to tell you about some of the ways in which the money's been used and making a real difference. And what you're then going to try to do is get in and figure out, could you increase that? All of this comes from the biggest one where we spend the most amount of time. Are you calling about money? No. I just would like a chance to meet you and to hear about why you've given or why you're involved or what your experience was so that we can do our job better. Number one, are you calling about money? Number, number two, well, I don't have the time right now. Easy one. That's great. I know you're probably busy. Is tomorrow a better time? Could we schedule something next week? Or the day after tomorrow? Could I come by your office and make it convenient for you? I do not like the response. Well, when is it convenient for you? I want to kind of push them. And if you were, again, reviewing those moves management and cultivation and qualification into yes, no moment. I need to know if they're going to sit and chat with me because what I do know is if they're not going to, I want to know that so that I can bless and release them and go on to the next person that's potentially interested, or I'm going to go meet with them. But if I'm in the middle 
I don't know. And if I have an open-ended question, when's available for you? Well, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. I don't know what to do with that. I'm available next week. I can come to your office. How does that work? I'm going to give them a couple of options. Yes, no. So how do you deal with time? Let me give you some options that are convenient for me. And I'm going to get you to say yes or no. Number three. Oh, gosh, I know everything about you. You don't need to talk to me. Longtime donor. Maybe they think they know. Easy response here. That is great. Can I ask you a question? Can you tell me why you are involved or why you've given? And then the follow-up after they say that, I'd like to hear more about that. We have a lot of people like you who are really generous with their time, with their talent, with their energies, whatever. I'd like to know why this is important to you. Could we spend 30 minutes chatting? Remember the goal of qualification is interest to capacity. And the easiest place to do that is eyeball to eyeball. I'm not saying it can't be done on the phone. But I find most times with nonverbal cues and other things, the more you're in front of someone for 30 minutes, hopefully in a place that's a little more personal where you can look at the things around them to kind of see their their, their kind of way in which they they move and what they say and how, what their what their facial expressions are. The more you do that, the more likely they are you'll know if they're actually qualified. Interest capacity. That's really more about interest. So try to uncover. Something that is of when they say, well, I already know everything. What is that? What is it that, and then try to push into what they don't know. That's what we want to talk about. Number four is, you know, you shouldn't spend any time and come and visit me. I consider this the Vicki Hallett answer. This is my mom. And in some regards, my dad. Mom and dad are these unassuming people who don't any, ever like anybody talking about them. And so if my sisters or my parents, my, now my mom, listen to this, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, you mentioned names. But that's who it is. They're like, yeah, we're just fine. Don't worry. You go, go, go deal with somebody more important. And your job is to tell them that they are important. Well, thanks for telling me. First and foremost, you are important. You've given to us a number of years and we have a little something for you. I'm always advocating for like a little something, nothing big, nothing that makes it important to say, we just don't mail anymore because of mailing costs. And I'd love to just stop by and drop it off. I used to use this trick when I traveled, when I had open blocks of time, when I, you know, I'd scheduled, let's say five days in, in Palm Springs and I've got three meetings a day, but there's a hole. I would take. We had M&Ms that had the logo of the medical center. And I would call people and I would take them along and they were all prepackaged. And I'd say, hey, I've got this gift for you. I'd like to bring it by. I took care of the big ones pre-scheduling, but I was trying to find a way to get in front of them. So the first thing is, is, is there a way to kind of say, you are important. We'd like to thank you for what you've done. I really would like to spend some time with you. Or you can, if that doesn't work, well, gosh, you know, we've got a lot of people we communicate with kind of in an informal way. Could I stay in touch with you by phone or email? This was incredibly positive as a obstacle hurt, getting over that obstacle or over the hurdle during COVID. So there's a couple ways you can handle don't come and see me. Number five, I'm a private person. Thank you. We value people's privacy. 
we are incredibly careful as an organization to ensure two things. Number one, that we share only the information you you, you approve of us. So any gifts that would be made in the future or in the past, we if somebody wants anonymity, we we, we recognize that. Number two is, is that we don't share other information with other people. And so I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about what we do and getting to know you. And I'm not going to share that information with the general public. You have a way of positioning yourself as an advocate for what they believe. But there's a second pivot here to keep in mind that you have to go back to the impact, particularly if they've been a donor. Maybe you're requalifying them at a higher level. And yes, you want to address the anonymity or the privacy concerns they have because that's important. I want my privacy protected. But you have to pivot back to the impact. Your gifts have made a big difference. We're reaching out to tell people why their gifts changed lives, changed our organization, helped our mission. And I've been tasked with this conversation. It's one that I love, and I'm, I'd love to spend a little time telling you about it. Privacy is important to people, particularly in a chaos world where we seem to have data breaches every 15 seconds. Address it, but pivot back to that impact. Number six, uh, you're not the one I need to talk to. That's my spouse. Now, this is sometimes about gift size. If you come to Randall Hallett and ask me for $25, I feel fairly comfortable. I can make that decision. I might let my wife know. But as a nonprofit, I'm not overly concerned. You get to a certain dollar figure. I'd like to stay married. I'd like to sleep in the bed with my wife. I'd like to, you know, have another 25 years with her. I start handing out money without her involvement. That's a problem. Now, Everybody has different levels of these relationships. And even old school, I have a couple of larger uh, donors that I work with with clients who are in their 80s. And to be honest, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's the male that's making the decisions. And I'm always asking, do we need to bring in your wife into this conversation? Or telling my clients, you probably should ask if the wife should be in the conversation. So if that happens, first and foremost, say, that's great. We have a lot of conversations with both members of the of the of the marriage of the partnership we'd love to sit down let's talk about how i could come and visit you both would be easiest at home or a cup of coffee when's a good time tomorrow between one and five again creating some boundaries or next week that maybe i could stop by and we could talk about what we're doing and why this was important to you if you try to run without the spouse, you're going to run into problems, particularly if you get into larger gifts amount. Number two, they've told you what the barrier is. You've got to overcome it. The obstacle. Get in front of both of them. How does your wife schedule? How does your husband schedule? Is there someone we can get to help do this? This is really important. I think it would be very valuable to spend 30 minutes with the two of you. Some language. Try to position the two of them together. I'll let you know if I need anything. I, I don't need a visit and we don't have to worry about this. Great. Well, first and foremost, if they were a donor, thanks so much for everything you do. Uh, would it be okay if I called or emailed every once in a while just to check in and see how you're doing and let you know how your giving's making a difference? Or if if I need anything, I'll, I, I'll let you know, or I'll let you know if, if something comes up, maybe also a message of when they give. And so they're already trying to say, look, from a qualification standpoint, the timing's bad. 
I'm one of those people. We've shifted my wife and I, our charitable giving from doing a budgetary, meaning every month to an end of the year. So if you're asking me in February, it's not a good time. So you might want to pause it. Is now the right time for your choices? Could I stay in touch with you? Could I give you some understanding of what your giving does? Could I check back with you in three months and see if see if that maybe fits better in terms of your time frame? The last thing is I'm upset about something. The food in the hospital, the professor who wasn't nice to me, whatever. The first thing is, is you're going to have to be empathetic and you're going to have to listen to it and you're going to have to fall on the sword. I'm so sorry that happened. I've heard that before. It's really important to our CEO, to our leadership, to our board that we get this addressed. With your permission, I'd like to take that concern and make sure that my superiors, our leadership knows this so we can get it addressed. But what I have found is once you let someone complain and you accept it and you say, thank you so much, we need to improve on this. And you you really elevate their thought process that you're listening and a willing partner to get things better, to make them better. The next question is critical. If we remove that, can you tell me about the rest of your experience? And what I found is normally it's really good. But if you don't take care of the hurdle, which is that first something to complain about, something went wrong, something didn't work right, then you never get to all the other aspects. Accept it, fall on the sword, and then say, gosh, if we take that away, how was everything else? Did anyone else make a big difference for you? There are eight hurdles in the qualification process. You're trying to get in front of someone that you can use tactically to get more conversations going. And that's going to build better relationships for you in the qualification, moving toward, hopefully, more cultivation. Next time, we'll deal with the end of cultivation into the ask and some of the objections that come there. Don't forget the blogs at hallettphilanthropy.com, two or three a week all kinds of subjects. I just wrote one on the First Amendment and then yesterday wrote one on the tragedy in Hawaii, both related to kind of nonprofit in various ways. Might give you something to think about, kind of be interested in. You can get an RS feed right to your inbox. And if you'd like to reach out to me, that's podcast at hallettphilanthropy.com. Can't thank you enough for joining me because what you're doing is making a difference. And I'm hoping this is a kind of a classroom setting to take some things away that makes your job more worthwhile, your career more worthwhile, the work that you do more worthwhile and your nonprofits effect on the community more worthwhile. What you're doing is important, sometimes hard, maybe not always fair, but it's critical. Philanthropy and nonprofits fill the holes of our, of our society. And what we need is more engagement. You do something incredibly valuable. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. And then there are those who wondered what happened. My favorite all-time phrase and saying, you're someone who makes things happen for the things and the people that are wondering what happened. And that's worthwhile. Even if you don't feel it every second, take it in the largesse. You're changing lives. And that's important. I'll look forward to seeing you right back here on the next edition of Around with Randall. Don't forget, make it a great day.